0: To learn more, visit naturesway.com pearls and use code CHELSEA10 at checkout for 10% off any Pearl's probiotics. Terms and
1: conditions apply. Valid through July 31st. Happy Pride from TomboyX. X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit tomboyx.com to shop.
2: With Conair Girl Bomb, available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you.
0: Hi, Catherine.
2: Hi, Chelsea. Where have you been this week?
0: Well, I have the first week off that I've had for Thanksgiving week. Oh, this that's is amazing. My first week off. I'm hanging on by an actual thread of dental floss. I, can I am. Tell. <laughs> really, really. My body is shutting down. The plane rides, the partying. The more tired I get, the more, the more I drink just to get it up. Yeah. Like, I need help. So, and that's backfiring. My voice is gone. I've been touring. It's my favorite tour. I mean, I say it's my favorite whenever I'm doing anything because it is. Yeah. But it's so much fun. I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but Eddie Vedder came to my show in Seattle. Oh my And gosh, his wife, fun. Jill. And we had the best fucking time. That's so fun. We, we, they were awesome. I mean, that my, my tour manager's like, uh, Eddie Vedder's coming to the show tonight. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then we were in Seattle. I had two shows in Seattle. Fucking epic in Seattle. Oh, did I announce my Canadian dates? Oh, you know what shows I have coming up? I still have tickets for these shows. My second show in Cincinnati, it's at 5 o'clock. I'm trying one of those shows in Cincinnati. I have two shows that day, one at 5 p.m. and one at 8 p.m. And the one at 8 p.m. is sold out. But the one at 5 p.m., I want to promote this, the Taft Theater, which is in Ohio, obviously, because we're talking about Cincinnati. I also added a second show in Detroit. So there's a Thursday and Friday show in Detroit, and there are still tickets for the Thursday show, November 30th. And that's coming right up. Yeah. And then I'm coming to Louisville, Kentucky. There's tickets for that. That's Sunday, December 3rd. And then I'm coming to Montreal. And I have two shows in Toronto. We're coming to Ottawa. We're coming to Edmonton, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, Calgary, all of my Canadian lovers. I'm coming to Victoria, Kelowna, Vancouver, and then Salt Lake City, and Denver, and Maricopa, Arizona. And Richmond, Virginia, it just goes on and on and on. And that's my schedule like through May. But I didn't say all of the dates. I was just telling you the ones that have tickets. So if you want tickets, go to ChelseaHandler.com and come to my Shows because they're so much fun, and you might (laughs) be super duper. Yeah, we had we had a little after party because some of my friends, my sister's friends, were there. My sister wasn't there, but her friends came. Mm -hmm. And then we had I I ran into a girl that I hadn't seen since I waited tables twenty five years ago at a place called Roasty. I saw her, Roberta. She came. Her husband's a doctor in Seattle, so my doctor in Seattle because I had my cardiomyopathy the last time I was in Seattle. They're friends, and they came together to my show. So I saw my friend from twenty five years ago was awesome, and I'm going to see her again in Whistler this winter. And then I saw some other blast from the past. And we had this nice little after party in our green room, which was so fun. And nice. then at midnight, I was like, it was Thursday night, or Friday night. I had a show in Seattle on Friday and Saturday, and I left. And when I left... At midnight, Eddie Vedder and his wife were still partying in my green room
3: <laughs> with that's all your old sp- friends.
0: That's the kind of spirit I like.
3: I like it. That yeah. sounds great. Yeah.
0: So I mean, I have a lot of rock and roll connections this year. People, yeah. a lot of rock stars Deep are coming roll. to my tour. Dave Grohl. Yeah, well, Dave Grohl I've known for years. I love Dave Grohl. But a lot of rock stars are coming to my shows, and I'm fucking down with it. And now I need to start going to see their shows. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to see, I think I'm going to get a list, since I'm going to be up in Canada and Whistler for a few months, doing all my Canadian dates after I'm done with my American dates, and then I come back for my American dates. I think I'm going to go see who the big guys who are coming through Vancouver and go to shows. Yeah. Because I love shows now. I used to hate concerts. Really? I don't know why, just because of the sheer mass of people. Like, yeah. I'd rather be on the stage than in the crowd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> (laughs) That makes sense, though. Does it? Yeah. Some people love concerts.
3: Yeah. It's different going to, like, a little hole-in-the-wall concert versus, like, a big concert with all this, like, spectacle and special effects and everything. Like, those are really fun. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I yeah. mean,
3: they're all fun, but I told Brad, like, mid-pandemic when things were really bleak, I was like, it's kind of random, but, like, let's go see Pearl Jam when this is all over. Like, for some reason, that to me was like, this that will mean this is all over. So it's still but on my list. Listen
0: to how cute he was. My So my tour manager goes, hey, okay, I'll, you know, they came early to be backstage so they weren't in the crowd. And they were like, he's like, Eddie Vedder's here. I go, bring him up. And Jill, his wife, who's fucking awesome too, and she they they came up and and they, he was like, oh sorry, we didn't we didn't and come in and have a drink. He goes, oh god, we don't want to bother you before you perform. Like we were just coming to the show, we didn't even expect to meet you. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? You're getting <laughs> better. I know how it works when you go to a show and they're you're a celebrity and that you yeah. get to meet the person mostly most often. But I it was just so cute. He was like, so it's so amazing when you beat legends like that and they're so humble.
3: So they're not. He's not like a 1,000 brown M M person or whatever that writer was. No, He
0: was drinking Corona and she drank champagne, which is why I guess we had it because my tour manager spoke to their guy. But it was just so nice. I just love when there's surprises like that in the audience. And that keeps happening on this tour. So I love it. Thank you. I love it. Mm. Well, Chelsea, next week is Thanksgiving Um. and... I wonder, you know. I know your sister in law kind of has different. She's political I'm dealing <laughs> with Olga over Christmas. I see her for Christmas, and I, we are all going to our. We're going skiing, my whole family. Yeah, and this is how nice I am. I'm moving out of my own fucking house. <laughs> it so and renting my place so I can go be with my family in a nice bigger house because they really won't settle for anything less, and we need a nice house because there's so many of us. Yeah. So I'm moving out of my own house to go and move into this <laughs> rental house with my family for a week. And then, no, Thanksgiving I'm going to spend with Connie Britton. I'm going to Connie's oh, house cute. for Thanksgiving. Yeah, I'm going to be in L.A. I have a week off.
3: Chelsea, is there anybody in your life that you sort of, like, don't align with politically? And, like, how do you deal with them at Thanksgiving, et cetera?
0: Well, no. I I mean, not in my family. Mm-hmm. I don't really have people like that where we don't align politically. I mean, now with this, everything that's going on, that's more of an issue, I I would assume, because there's so many people that are so upset for multiple reasons, Mm -hmm, you know. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's horrifying what's happening on both sides, and the anti-Muslim behavior and the anti-Semitic behavior. So— but, and then that becomes an argument about Palestine versus Israel. And that's not the right. that's not the fucking argument. So I won't I'm not willing to even have that discussion totally, anymore because totally. it's, it's an unwinnable conversation. Everyone's going around in circles. You could go around for seventy-five years, you could go around for a thousand years, and we there would still be the issue. Yeah. So, no, I don't have that in my family. We yeah. and if I mean my my nephew can be a little bit conservative, which is annoying, but we all really jump down his throat. You know what? I have
3: a niece <laughs> that's like kind of turning that corner too, and I'm like a little concerned I'm just hoping that when she goes to college like she's gonna get some different opinions and some different you know worldviews and come back to like she used to be super super liberal and I'm like please come back to
0: the please come back yeah you know I know I know it's very hard It's hard when you have that in your family because you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. That's not how we are. You can't hate people. Mm -hmm. You just can't. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not—I don't want to live in a world where there's so much hatred. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to die or be Mm -hmm. killed. Mm -hmm. I don't like that. Guess what? Like, the solution is not—
3: continuing to kill like it's just not I know we should just send
0: four women in there we should just send you know fucking Angela Merkel send Christine Amanpour she's very good about the Middle East send Hillary Clinton and send Michelle Obama let them go in come up with their (laughs) solution and then tell us what it's gonna be send in Greta Toonberry
3: just for you know good I
0: like Greta Toonberry it
3: is it is actually technically pronounced Toonberry but everyone says Thunberg yeah like oh um, over there they say Toonberry like how cute is that that's very cute
0: well, Chelsea, we have Shelly back oh, on yes. the show. Shelly Tegilski, my dear friend, and yes. her friend and her friend Justin wrote a book. And guess what the title is? How we ended racism. You know Shelly from this podcast because she runs Pandemic of Love. And I've talked about her organization many times. And she also had another book come out a few years ago that we talked about called Sit Down to Rise Up. Shelly and Justin, welcome, 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 welcome. Shelly, welcome back to the podcast. Justin, it's nice to finally meet you.
4: So nice to meet you, Chelsea.
0: I've heard a lot about you vis a vis Shelly and yeah, a lot same. about your experience writing this book together. And the book is called How We Ended Racism, which is in the past tense. And we'll get to that. And I can't wait to dive into, first of all, the boldness of this title, which I love. And we can talk about how you guys came together first. Yeah, let's start there.
4: Well, when we first, first, first came together was actually in the rodeo of our first books. And so I was going on a book tour and somebody said, hey, you need to talk to this woman named Shelly because she knows everybody in the whole world, basically, (laughs) and and helps a lot of people in the world and she'll help you get to the right folks. And Shelly and I ended up connecting so deeply, like on our first call, which I think happens with Shelly when, you know, we're with good people. And the rest was really history in terms of how we started working together.
5: Yeah, so I was going to teach in Southside Chicago. I was invited through the Obama Foundation to teach there. And I was going to walk into a room with a bunch of mothers who lost their children to gun violence. And most of them are women of color. And what I recognized is that it would be really great to have a person of color in the room with me so that it wouldn't because I only had a very short time to be there. And I realized usually it takes me a good two to three hours to even like get their trust, you know. And so I invited Justin just on a whim. I said, hey, what are you doing on this date? Can you can you come out to Chicago? And he said, "Mm, let me check. Sure, absolutely. I'm available. And so.
4: And we had never met.
5: Never met in person. We never taught together in person. And it was a really rich and wonderful experience. It was amazing. We actually, it felt like I had been teaching with him for a really long time. And we, we actually created bonds there that we still have now with that community, which is incredible.
0: Wow! Wow! Because she, I went to a gun violence retreat with Shelley once too, and we made a lot of food in the kitchen—organic food. I think we made a beet soup, a borscht. I was not what I was expecting at all. I was like, "Oh, there's a lot of team building here." But yes, I went to. And by the way, by the way, I haven't been asked back. So, Justin, I just want to let you know you're obviously crushing it.
4: Oh my God! Well, thank you.
0: And Shelly's been on this podcast before. I've talked about her foundation, which is her mutual aid foundation, which I've mentioned on the show multiple times. And she's helped out so many of our callers. It's called Pandemic of Love. And so talk to us about, Justin, your background. Like, where are you from and where did you grow up? And give us all that stuff.
4: Yeah, totally. I grew up in Northern California, actually, in a town called Pittsburgh, California. A lot of people don't know there's a Pittsburgh in California.
0: No, my God. I didn't know we needed two of them.
4: We don't, but this one this one is uh, just like 20 minutes east of Berkeley. And I grew up actually in the hood, to be honest with you. I grew up in a home with gunshot holes on the outside of my house. And so when speaking in these kind of communities that Shelly's talking about, it's something that I've really lived. And you know, one of the things that I talk about all the time, which kind of led me into the work that I do now, is I grew up kind of adapting to all of my trauma, being what I call a chronic overachiever feeling like if i do enough accomplish enough succeed enough if i'm always good if i'm always perfect then i'll finally be out of here i'll finally be enough and i overachieved my way to getting a full ride scholarship to go to ucla i moved to la went to la and it wasn't until i actually got to ucla came out of the closet had extra money for the first time was living in a safe neighborhood and exhaled that i realized that i was absolutely depressed And I was asking this question of like, how is it that I have everything that I've said I've ever wanted? And I'm, and I'm depressed. And it's, you know, what sent me to a therapist for the first time ever, this was almost 20 years ago now at this point. And the therapist said to me, you should try meditation. And I literally said to him, meta, what? Like this before the (laughs) iPhone, right? I was like, I didn't know any black people meditating. I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And he said, it looks like you've been trying to find your happiness outside of yourself. And you've missed the only place you haven't looked, within. And the thing is, Chelsea, like, I, I had, ne- it's commonplace to say that now, like, find your happiness within, but I had never even heard that phrase. So I like lift up my arms and I'm like, within what? Like, where? Like, what are you talking about?
0: <laughs> You're like, here, under here. Take your under pants where? down, it's there. Find <laughs> it, right. find exactly, it. Exactly,
4: right? Exactly. I mean, I definitely was trying to find it in places with my pants down. I'll tell you about that. But that's another podcast. <laughs> you and
0: me both, <laughs> sister. Okay.
4: <laughs> that's a, That's another podcast. But anyway, that all leads me to say that I think so many of us, we have this experience in our lives where we're trying to change the outside, hoping that it will change something within us. And we find and learn again and again and again that we could change our relationships. But we're never going to be a good in a good relationship if we haven't changed who we are. We can change our job, but our job is always going to feel like shit if we don't change who we are inside of those jobs. And so all of my work now that I've really dedicated my life to is helping people not just change what's on the outside but change what's within so I do that in a lot of different ways through through music and writing and teaching meditation and books but Shelly and I really came together to write this book to help people understand the work that it takes for us to actually change the world in the way that we're all saying that we want it to change and who we have to become inside to really be able to show up for that
0: yeah, I like what you just said. I, I can relate to that a lot. Changing, you know, not the outside. I also think trying to control the outside, trying to control the outcome of things right. is, is, is never the yes. way forward. You know, controlling something without looking within, you know, part of looking within is being able to understand that the outcome and the outside are <laughs> are not things, you know, you have to be able to go with the flow and move like with the, you know, with some would say with the universe. I would say that now. I used, to, I used to be like you. I'd be like, oh, God, all that language is so frou-frou. But yeah. it, once you get clicked in and you're moving and everything's in a flow state, you understand the power of that. And then yeah. the kind of power that that attracts and the kind of energy that that gives off and brings in. You're bringing in so many more people when you embody that. When you do look yeah. within, you understand yourself, you realize oh, I want to give out high vibes. I want to spread good vibes. I don't want to do the negative stuff. You know what I mean? My purpose here is joy, sunshine, and laughter, whatever your purpose is. So I love that. I can relate to that a lot.
4: I feel like people often ask me, you know, I'm 35, I'm turning 36, and, and people often ask me, like, how are you teaching this stuff and doing this at such a young age? And I just feel like, honestly, I was just lucky enough to have hit rock bottom at such a young age and had the resources mm. at UCLA to actually get help at that age. That was just younger that I just happened to be starting this at a pathway that I think is before a lot of people do. And so I just feel really lucky that I get to be like a young queer black man who has been able to teach this work in these spaces and that's why Shelley was talking about like us coming together the diversity that is happening in the world as it relates to wellness and well-being it takes people being able to see people who look like them and it's just I feel grateful every day that I get to be representative of a community that sometimes isn't represented in this work in this world so
0: okay so let's talk about this book and what's inside this book obviously it's a very bold title choice and explain to us how you got there and then what people are going to be able to learn from reading this
5: yeah, so Justin and I are both Garrison Fellows, the Garrison Institute, which is in I
0: am I'm also a fellow, Shelly. So just back <laughs> the fuck up, okay?
5: <laughs> <laughs> so okay. Um, so yeah.
4: <laughs> Welcome
5: to the podcast.
4: Back up, Shelley.
5: Back it up. Where do you want me to back it up? Shelly, that's very
0: inappropriate. That's that's really not the kind of book we're talking about. Okay, I can't believe you would reduce our podcast
5: to this. That's Justin's other book. (laughs) Back it up. Um, Okay, so Justin and I are Garrison Institute Fellows and the Garrison Institute Fellowship actually at the helm of the program is Dr. Dan Siegel, who you know really well and who has been on the podcast. And the challenge that the Garrison Institute fellows had in this two-year program that we were in is to think about big questions, like really big questions that almost seem like completely insurmountable and unsolvable, et cetera. And Justin and I came together, this was around the George Floyd murders, so the summer of 2020. We started thinking about what needs to change in this world for this kind of bullshit to stop happening. You know, what, actually needs to change what can change why do we feel so helpless why do we feel so hopeless and why do we feel so disempowered like we don't feel like we can actually change anything and what we started to do is we started to put together a program first and foremost we were like let's bring together people to just have a conversation to really start exploring the answer to that question what can we do And then what we started to find out as we start, as we dove sort of deeper into just the rhetoric, right, around anti racism and we read CAST and we read all of the books, all the things that were coming out around that time, we recognize that in none of those books, in none of the DEI programs, in none of the racial bias training programs, does anybody ever say that racism can end? All we ever talk about is that the work needs to continue generation after generation after generation. So Justin and I looked at each other. We asked each other, you know, what would it look like if racism actually could end? What would it look like if we stood in the future and looked backwards and thought to ourselves, what do we need to do? Who did we need to become back then, today, in the present moment for racism to actually end?
4: And I think one thing Chelsea that I'll add to this is we thought it was crazy. So remember the fellowship asked us to ask these big questions. And we looked at each other and said, could racism end? Like everything is saying, this is gonna be a lifelong fight for generations and generations, forever and ever and ever, and always and always and always. And we were like, but for why? We do so many things in the world. Like we accomplish so many things. And right now everyone's talking about getting to another planet. And we're like, if we land on Mars, without ending racism we are fucked like we're totally screwed you know if we figure that out first and so we got what was so cool is we were skeptical about it too we went in with a with a genuine question we pulled hundreds of people together we got anthropologists sociologists neuroscientists to ask the question is it actually possible for this to end and what we found actually against what we thought was going to happen the answer was yes it actually can. And for the first time in history, it can because of everything that's come before us, all that we know now. But it can't end that possibility doesn't exist without these eight specific pillars. And so our book kind of lays out the eight pillars that would have to exist for the idea of ending racism to even be possible. And so it's not really a book that like 10 steps to end racism. It's not like that. It's like, mm-hmm. stand in the future, racism is over. What are the eight things that would have had to happen now for this to actually go down? And so that's what we write about.
5: Right, what conditions needed to arise in humanity in order for us to get there. And can you talk about a couple of the pillars before we go to callers?
4: Yeah, sure. So there's eight of them. I'll start with with the one that we normally don't start with because it's the one that people often like to talk about, which is we learn to have big conversations and how to have conversations across divides. And one of the things that we believe the world is ready to graduate from and needs to evolve from basically immediately, and it is time, I think we all know this, is from calling people out to doing what we have called and coined in our book, calling forward. And the reason we talk about this is what we know from all the science is calling out, which leads to cancel culture which is shame and blame and guilt. And it never, ever leads to the situation that we're actually trying to stop really changing in the big picture. It leads to canceling people instead of canceling a problem, which Mm. is a situation. And so what we know from all the research that we looked at is if you approach a situation with shame, blame, and guilt, I don't care how bad it was, it is a thing that somebody did getting them to learn or grow is basically virtually impossible. Yeah, And so if we want to get people to learn and grow. What we have to understand is our book is based upon and why I'm starting here. You can't be anti-everything to get things to move forward. Being anti doesn't tell us what we're walking towards. It just tells us what we're fighting against. And if you're going to be fighting against something, you're ultimately saying, That thing has to always exist so that I can keep fighting it. And so we're looking at, no, not just what are we fighting against? What are we anti? What are we walking toward? What are we going forward to? And that's really what we're trying to do with the work in this book is teach people how to have the conversations, how to move forward to what we all actually want. And what I believe, Chelsea, let's say this is a black gay man who has been all over this country. I'm half white. I have family, white family who lives in Alabama who are Trump voters. And they are the most, I don't know if they'll vote for him again, but they did. And they are the most lovely, amazing people who I love with my my whole heart. And what I have learned all around this country is that what we're seeing in the news, in the media is not what I would say most, the majority of people are this extreme. I think many of us, actually want the same things. We want to walk in a similar direction, but we're being torn apart by all this cancel culture and this anti everything and this call out everything. And we're trying to gather that group of people together so we can walk forward together.
0: You know, it's so true, like the canceling and shunning people. Like, if, if that worked, police officers wouldn't be up to the same business that they've been up to for the last 50 years, you know? Like, people get arrested. They lose their jobs for assaulting and murdering innocent black men who are just scared to be pulled over, who run from them out of fear. And yep. you would think with social media, it's all over the place. You, I'm always like, how do these men still think they're going to get away with it? And it's like, it clearly doesn't make an impact that some of these men have lost their jobs, and some of them are spending time in jail. It doesn't have the impact. And so the canceling of people and the calling out, you're right, isn't a way to learn. It's a way to shame someone. I mean, it's a nice step, in my opinion, <laughs> to as a warning to people, but, you know, it's not the most effective way. And it, clearly, obviously, it's not. Well, that's fascinating. I love that. And I, I, I mean, I love this book because I like anything that talks about ending racism, obviously. My hope for another planet is that when we do make contact with another planet, all of those people will be black. So <laughs> that's my personal fantasy that we will right. make contact with whomever they are living somewhere else because there are people out there. And I, yeah, and then America's going to be like, whoopsie doodle. yeah right (laughs) I doubt I'll be around for that moment but anyway okay so are you guys ready you want to take some calls about on this topic we're going to have people call in with some questions and that's the name of the game on this podcast so okay Catherine what do we what do we got going on today well
3: first I'm going to make us take a little break and we
0: will be right back to take callers okay we're going to take a little break okay An official selection of Deadline calls the film a touching testament to the power of love. IndieWire says it's funny and moving, and according to Next Best Picture, Ezra approaches autism with heart and authenticity.
1: Only in theaters nationwide May 31st. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Hi, it's Chelsea
0: here. If you've noticed that your hair isn't looking as full as it used to, Zion Health is here to help. Zion stands out as the experts in men's and women's hair loss treatments. I didn't realize that up to 50% of women struggle with hair loss which is weird because we need to be talking about that more. Zion has treatments for all stages of life, including for hair loss due to menopause or pregnancy. Zion offers medicated and non-medicated solutions that are developed by dermatologists to maximize the growth and density of your hair. Getting a prescription is simple. Their online consultation platform gives you convenient access to personalized treatment plans. Hair loss gets more and more difficult to treat the longer you wait, so seek help with them soon. Visit xyonhealth.com to get started. That's xyonhealth.com. And we're back. We're back. Oh, I have a little frog in my throat. Excuse (laughs) me. I had a coffee this morning, and I'm fucking bouncing off the walls. I don't normally drink coffee. (laughs) That's not your
7: usual thing.
3: (laughs) Well, we're actually going to start with a caller. Usually, we start with an easy one, but I know you guys can handle it. So Abigail is in Colorado. She is 35, and she says, My husband and I have been together for six years. We have different political views, and his friends share his views. My husband and I have never had any major issues about our conflicting views other than being annoyed from time to time. Most of the big issues we agree on. His close friend comes over a couple times a month and spends several hours drinking. Early in our relationship, I actually enjoyed it and would even suggest it. The problem is, his friend loves to bring up topics that make me uncomfortable. One being politics, but there are many and they're offensive. It's only after he gets drunk and it always feels like an attack because he knows where I stand on most issues. I feel like he just wants a reaction. If I react, then I get very defensive and never say what I really want to because I'm afraid of being so reactive. If I say nothing, I spin out for weeks thinking about what I should have said. It's maddening. My husband always gets pretty quiet when this behavior happens. He knows I don't need anyone to defend me. I'm a big girl. But I can't take it anymore. I don't want my husband to not hang out with his friends, and I appreciate that they always hang out here instead of going to bars. I've been meditating, listening to podcasts, and reading lots of books like Letting Go and The Untethered Soul, trying to let go of my negative feelings towards him. What should I do? Abigail.
0: Hi, Abigail. Hi. 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 This is Shelly and Justin. They're our guests today. They wrote a book that relates to what you're talking about. I don't know how people do it. I'm like you. Listen, I'm like you, but people like that, especially someone who's trying to get a rise out of you— you better figure out the toolkit. To as my friend would say, water ski above it all. You cannot engage with somebody who's trying to wind you up. I mean, if that's not the dynamic between men and women that also needs to end, that is the most annoying thing for a man to sit there and needle you about something he knows you're passionate about. So I would just I would really try and use all of your toolkit so that you can A, either laugh at anything he says and just belittle that, not in a belittling way of him, but just belittling his behavior like I'm not engaging with you. That's just too ridiculous. You're too ridiculous. Like, I'll talk to you about regular things, but you're just trying to get me upset. And I'm like, it's just too stupid. And also, do you need to be subjecting yourself to him? Because what reason? Because you like your husband to be home drinking rather than out drinking?
8: No, I mean, that's nice. Don't get me wrong. Just to not think about, like, drinking and driving and stuff like that. But other than that, it's just his friend that he's been best friends with for like, I don't even know, like 20 years. So I definitely don't want to try to like create any sort of wedge. That's not it. I just wish he would stop doing this because like I said, like he doesn't even remember the conversations, which is just crazy.
0: (laughs) Well, which is even more ridiculous for you to be upset about. You know what I mean? He's drunk and just blah, 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 blah. You don't even need to engage with that. And at a certain point when someone's that drunk, like you're totally able to have them leave or remove yourself from the situation. Like there's no reason to subject yourself to that.
8: Yeah, I think because I know that this is like a me problem. Like I need to figure out my reaction. But also down the road, my son is a toddler now. But when he's older, I just feel like I'm going to have this explosive reaction. If he says something, you know, racial or homophobic or anything like that in front of my son, I think I'm going to lose it. And I need to like, I just don't want him to ever be exposed to hear someone that he's supposed to like love and respect say terrible things. Do you know what I mean? Well,
0: Mm -hmm. that's your job as a parent to not have those people around your children voluntarily. A, I mean, hot parenting tips for me. B, (laughs) Anytime you lose your shit, you've lost the argument. So yeah. anytime you are up in arms and screaming and yelling, it's nobody takes that seriously. So it is a practice to control yourself. I used to do that all the time. It's not effective. It doesn't work. When you make a point quietly and directly, it has much more of an impact than you jumping around screaming and yelling and being defensive. Shelley and Justin, over to you. Thoughts? Feelings?
4: Oh, Yeah. Abigail, I feel so understanding of what you're dealing with. It reminds me of somebody that we wrote about in, in our book named Joe, who like dealt with this with his coworkers. He was like going out to lunch with his coworkers again and again, and there was a few coworkers who just kept saying racist jokes, who kept saying all these remarks, and he didn't know what to say. And I want to just have, there's a section in our book where we walk people step by step through how to set boundaries and in a way that actually works and is meaningful. And I want to honestly, I just want to promise you that we're going to give you a gift of our book ourselves. So we're going to send it to you so that you have a copy of it to walk through this step by step. But I want to give you a piece of this here that I think is really important to know. And then I'll pass it to Shelly. A big part of the reason why we don't set boundaries, we lie to ourselves and convince ourselves that we're not setting the boundary because oh, I don't want to create a wedge between my husband and his friend. Or I don't want, I I want to make sure that I don't ruffle any feathers or I want to make sure that I'm being nice. And we kind of act like the reason we're not setting boundaries is because we're so nice. But what we've actually learned from all the studies around this is it's actually the opposite. We're not setting boundaries because we don't want to have to sit with having caused someone else disappointment. So we will abandon our truth to make sure that we don't have to sit with someone else being disappointed with us. And so we'll let ourselves continue to get run over, continue to be upset, continue to be angry, continue to be in some cases, this is not the situation that you're in, but like abused or bothered, all so that we don't have to have somebody go, I'm a little disappointed in you. And so if you could just own that a part of the reason you're not saying anything is not because you don't really feel strongly about this, and it's not because you maybe don't have the tools to speak about it when you're all sober and bring it up in a meaningful way, but it's because you're afraid of you having to sit with the reaction of if he gets upset or if your husband gets upset about it. And so this might be a starting point for the conversation is share the dilemma instead of going in with this anger and solution, share the dilemma and start with your husband and say, Hey, I want to talk to you about something. Here's the dilemma. You're not going in with this hard boundary answer. I need him to stop. It's, Hey, I really love your best friend. And I want us to all be able to stay really close. And I care about him and I love when he's over. And at the same time, it's really important to me that we're creating an environment where we're not talking about these things because it really bothers me. What do you think we should do? How can we handle this together? Mm -hmm. That's a whole different way of setting boundaries. And now you're involving Mm -hmm. your husband and you're a team actually wondering how to do this. And you have the same conversation with him hey, he doesn't even realize this is even happening. Shelly, I'll let you jump in. I don't want to monopolize this. I know you have something to say. Here. That's very good advice. Yeah.
5: Very good advice. I love it. That's super helpful. No, I mean, yeah, there's not a lot to add here. You know, I, I what I will say is that I I personally had this experience with my husband, Jason's friend, best friend, and he would constantly say really sexist and aggressive things. They would He would come over on Sundays. They would watch football games. And it would just, you know, it would be fine when he got there. And my son was always at home as well and looked up to his quote unquote uncle. And um, it became really challenging for me to be in the same room as my husband and his friend, when he came over and they started drinking. So I I made a conscious decision, definitely did what Justin said, you know, raise the dilemma. And, and then
0: she also started drinking. That's how she, had- <laughs> like, you know what, oh, that's if
5: nice. you can't beat them, <laughs> join them. But not with them, but not with them. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you know, you have the choice. You, I feel like you're kind of giving your power away in a sense. And I recognize that, like, the one thing that I can control is where I am physically when this person comes over, or whether or not, you know, if you're concerned about, you know, you said, you know, I don't necessarily want them to, it's nice that he's at home. But I'm just thinking to myself, like, maybe it doesn't always have to be at your home. You know, we live in an Uber world, like, yes, they're drinking and driving. So then you drive them to the bar and Yeah. You know, and you can have your husband Uber back, or you can send him the Uber, you can go pick him up, or there's so many different options as well. But the idea is like, don't give your power away. Don't put yourself in a situation. I removed myself from that situation. And eventually, I will tell you that became a little bit wiser about it and was like, why doesn't Shelly ever want to hang out with us anymore? And I finally, when he was sober and he was willing to come to the table and have this conversation, I had this conversation with him. And I will say that he actually apologized for his behavior and was a little bit more conscious about it. At that point, I still couldn't stand him, but still. (laughs) (laughs)
6: Yeah, I mean,
0: it's also it's just a nice test for you. You know what I mean? To see how you can handle a situation that is difficult, that is causing you distress and and handle this in a different way. Like, you know, you probably haven't had to deal with this specific, you know, situation before, but handle it and you're going to feel so good after you do handle it. You know, obviously when when he's not drinking, you can't talk to someone when they're drunk or in a blackout yeah. for that matter. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, there are many different avenues to like address this. At first with your husband and then, you know, in a very mature and affectionate way even. Exactly. Yeah. And I think
3: also, you know, of course you want to keep your child away from this, but whether it's from this guy or in seventh grade or in college, he will be exposed Mm -hmm. to these types of opinions. I know. This is something I'm dealing with, like with my nieces and nephews. And just to be there, to have those conversations from the other side, like, well, this is what I believe and this is how Mm -hmm. I feel about it. I think is so important that they just hear that other side all along.
8: Yeah,
4: I totally agree. Honestly, Abigail, that's what I was going to say is the most important thing for your son. You're not going to be able to protect him from these conversations. I mean, maybe you can protect him from a bit in your home. I'm not saying not to say anything. But what you can do is model for him how he can show up inside of these conversations. And that's where you get to really make a big difference.
0: Also, you have every right to tell him, that, I mean that's a perfect in. It's like I don't I don't want my son hearing any of this stuff. Those are your opinions. You're entitled to have them, but not when you're at my house as my guest. Like I don't need my child hearing that in his under his own roof. This is a safe place for him and I'm his mother and I have every right to protect him from that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's going to hear that outside in the outside world, but not under my house, not in my house. Like come right. on. That's not yeah. your belief system. You that's not part of what you have to put up with. So, Yeah.
8: No, that's all super helpful. I think I just needed to hear someone tell me like saying nothing is so much more powerful than trying to engage because anytime I've tried to educate or just try to listen or try it, just, it never, it always makes me spiral later and it always makes him feel like he won or whatever. Like, and I just, I need to not engage. (laughs)
3: Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Abigail, and good luck. It's a tricky situation. Take care, Abigail. Thank you
8: so much. Thank yeah. you. Thank you,
4: dear. Thanks. Thank you.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the new film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn, and with an incredible ensemble cast that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, Whoopi Goldberg, Rose Byrne, Rain Wilson, and Vera Farmiga. An official selection of Deadline calls the film a touching testament to the power of love. IndieWire says it's funny and moving, and according to Next Best Picture, Ezra approaches autism with heart and authenticity. Only in theaters nationwide May 31st.
1: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year Hi, it's Chelsea here. If you've noticed
0: that your hair isn't looking as full as it used to, Zion Health is here to help. Zion stands out as the experts in men's and women's hair loss treatments. I didn't realize that up to 50% of women struggle with hair loss which is weird because we need to be talking about that more. Zion has treatments for all stages of life, including for hair loss due to menopause or pregnancy. Zion offers medicated and non-medicated solutions that are developed by dermatologists to maximize the growth and density of your hair. Getting a prescription is simple. Their online consultation platform gives you convenient access to personalized treatment plans. Hair loss gets more and more difficult to treat the longer you wait, so seek help with them soon. Visit xyonhealth.com to get started. That's xyonhealth.com.
3: Our next email comes from Margot. Margo says, Dear Chelsea, After I graduated college in 2021, I went abroad to solo travel for a while, but I ended up never coming back. I've lived in three different countries since then and have worked six different hospitality and retail jobs. I'm currently living in Australia and I'm strongly considering moving to Vietnam to teach English soon, but my dad thinks it's time for me to come home and start my career since I'm almost 24. I understand where he's coming from, but I'm worried that if I don't go now, I never will. I really value the sense of autonomy and fierce independence I've developed from not being committed to one home-based job or partner. However, I do know that in the near future, I want to have children, a partner, and a successful career. I feel at once too old to continue my current unconventional lifestyle and too young to enter a life back home where I could turn complacent doing the mundane. Do you think I should get serious or stay adventurous? Or is there a way I can keep the sense of wonder and freedom even without traveling and while I'm trying to join the corporate ladder, get married and have kids? I don't know, girl, Margot.
5: She's 24,
0: you say? Almost 24. Shelley, would you like to begin?
5: Almost 20. Jeez, man, wow. I'm going to save my feedback for the very end.
4: (laughs) Okay, we're all Wow,
5: I'm Um. just like, wow, I'm floored. I mean, it's interesting because I spent the first, you know, 20 years of my life climbing the corporate ladder, doing everything that people told me I should be doing, you know, went to school, got a master's degree, did everything the right way, got the corner office, you know, made a great salary. And like Justin was saying earlier about his life, like it was the most miserable I'd ever been in my life. And it finally, at the age of like 40, I was like, burn this all to the ground, you know, threw the match behind me and was like, let's go, let's go live this wanderlust, adventurous life that I didn't really have an opportunity to do when I was younger. And so I would say that, especially because she's Only it seems like 24. Wow. You know, you're a quarter of a century old almost. It's hard to like imagine what life will be like at age 50. But if you, you know, you're thinking about what your parents or your father is telling you you should be doing. And I would say don't let people should or would you. I would say absolutely continue living this adventurous life because you will not only, when you travel far, you find yourself. That's first of Mm. all. And second of all, you will find your tribe. You will find the people and maybe even find your husband. Maybe he's not back quote unquote home. Maybe he's in Australia, maybe he's in Vietnam, maybe he's or your partner I should say because like I don't want to assume what your sexuality is, but but I think you should absolutely continue to live what feeds your soul because when you come back home, you will there's a very big possibility that you will live a life filled with resentment and remorse and what ifs. And it's, it's worse to live a life of what-ifs, a life laden with regret, than it is to live a life that feeds your soul every single day.
4: Yeah. I mean, ditto all along that pathway, I think. What I'll say is that Shelly and I you know, have worked with hundreds of thousands of people all around the world at this point. And what I will tell you, my dear Margo, is we work with people at all ages of their life who would just die to have the chance to travel in the way and experience what you're experiencing right now, would just really want that. And you are on a pathway that I think your family and your parents, it's not that they want, there's something that they're trying to create something bad for you. It's just, there's a different life for them. There's something different that they know and that they may have defined as success. And what you have to do is really ask yourself, what does success look like for me? What does happiness look like for me and follow that path? And if the pathway that you're on is it, do it. Cause girl, you are 24. I remember when I was 24 thinking that I was old and had to have all my shit together. Oh my God. If I only knew how much life there, you know, is hopefully still left to live. And so enjoy my dear, find the pathway and you'll find home, but you know, having a house doesn't mean you have a home. Mm. So don't make it like it's all about moving and buying a house to, you know, save your life here.
0: Yeah. And don't listen to your father. OK, Like, he <laughs> don't listen to it. some man tell you what is best for you, even if it is your father, because your life sounds incredible. I'm like, what? What? I want to be you. And you're 24 years old. I didn't have a career until I was 32 years old. I didn't make a living until I was 32 doing what I wanted to be doing. So I think you should stay there, go to Vietnam, go then, go go to Laos, go wherever the fuck you feel like going, do whatever you want, and don't put a time limit on anything. You know, time is, is like, this is the most important thing you could possibly be doing with your life is seeing the world, mm-hmm. and you're right. If you go home and you find some guy and you shack up and start a family, you're never going to get these opportunities again. So, you know, I know your father probably wants the best for what's best for you, but he's also referencing this construct in society that we're told what we have to do and when we have to do it. And I say, fuck you to all of that. You know, you have to follow what you want to do and be passionate about who you are and not listen to anybody who's trying to explain to you what's best for you because only you know that. And that's what I have to say about that. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, there you go, Margo. <laughs> so, there you go, Margo. Okay. Don't <laughs> fuck this up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Send us a postcard yeah. from Vietnam.
5: Yeah, we better not be seeing you in these parts of the woods. <laughs> yes.
3: Our next call is from Laura. She is in Curaçao and is a nutritionist. Ooh. Dear Chelsea, after suffering four small strokes in a row last December, my life has been a really a roller coaster ride through depression and back. Almost nine months later, I can finally say I feel a bit like myself again. Your special and podcast has been the first thing to get me laughing again in months. So thanks for that. Now here's my question. I have severe ADHD and have tried and really want to meditate, but it's been absolute hell. And I truly mean this with all the respect in the world, but I figured if you can meditate and actually enjoy it, isn't it possible for everyone? I tried every app there is. I tried first thing in the morning, tried at night. After eight weeks of hating it and not seeing even the tiniest change, I gave up. Again, my mind doesn't want to deal with another thing to check off my already never-ending to-do list. Would love your advice on how to make meditation enjoyable. Much love from the Caribbean,
0: Laura. Hi, Laura. Hello. Hi, Laura. Our special guests today are Justin and Shelly. They wrote a book called How We Ended Racism. So Shelly has a lot of experience, well, so does Justin, with meditation. So Shelly, why don't you start first about meditation and ADHD and how you combine the two?
5: Absolutely. So, well,
7: can I be an ADHD and say this is fucking awesome?
0: Yeah, yeah you <laughs> absolutely.
7: Interrupt and interrupt you right away.
0: Yeah, you yeah, just keep interrupting us. I mean, and then we'll get the picture. <laughs> no
7: problem. <laughs>
5: yeah. And what's fucking awesome is the sunshine and your sunglasses, and you're sitting outside in a tank top somewhere in the Caribbean. Let me say that I am married to someone who also does not enjoy meditation in any way, doesn't necessarily see the the benefits, if you will. And what I will tell you is that there are many modalities to meditation. I think there's this stigma that you have to, you know, sit down, cross-legged, do a nap, close your eyes, do breathing exercises. And that's actually not true at all. When my husband, for example, plays guitar, he's meditating for sure. He's lost in some other universe. And that is his way. That is his meditation. Mm -hmm. When I have a friend who's, who's a runner. And when she runs and trains for marathons, you know, she runs long distances. She's completely.
7: I tried that. now, yeah.
5: Well, I mean, I think the idea is that there's something that is there, whether it's when you're walking along the beach because you're in the Caribbean when you're swimming when you're paddle boarding when you're where do you find that your mind is the quietest you know where there's got to be something there's got to be one thing if it's listening to music if it's playing music if it but the idea is that wherever you find that bliss wherever you find that moment then i would say that's where you should go to meditate right that Because I think the stigma of like, I have to do it in a certain way or use a particular app or something is is not correct. It's not correct okay. at all. And the other thing I will tell you is that there's also, you know, benefits to just mini meditations or micro habits. And so what I will say to you is that even if you're just doing breathing exercises throughout the day that takes 16 seconds, 10 seconds, you know, Chelsea, I remember you and I were talking about The meditation exercise of 618 or 478, which is like breathing in for four, holding for seven, exhaling out for eight. What that does is it recalibrates your vagus nerve so that you can calm yourself. You can center yourself. Even if you just do that every time you wash your hands, right? After you go to the bathroom or you're in the kitchen or whatever, and you start incorporating these mini habits in your life, that is meditation too. That's also a form of meditation and you can get the benefits of it right? Because it recenters you. It brings you back to the present moment. And you're able to now not just necessarily react, or you're able to be self-aware that your mind has wandered. Oh, my mind wandered. Let me bring it back. And so yeah. in long forms, that may not work for you. But in short forms, that is maybe there's a way that it'll give you a sense of self-awareness.
0: Yeah. And Laura, where is that place that you find bliss?
7: It's difficult because I don't know, like you always make jokes that you have ADHD, but if you have it, it's just, it's not something that's, that goes away. I have about 800 channels in my head that are constantly Mm -hmm. giving some kind of signals and it's very rare that they're completely turned off. Like if I'm caught in a really, really, really good show on Netflix then that, that sometimes you lose yourself in something like that. Mm -hmm. If it's a really good book. But I'm not, like, I tried marathon running. I did an ultra thing. It's just my brain doesn't fucking stop. It doesn't stop.
0: It doesn't stop. But what you can, I, I, I hear you, and you're right. I don't have ADHD properly. So I don't know. You know, I'm always just joking about it. I think I have more ADD. But No, but it's fine. It's funny.
7: I left my ass off.
0: But I think that whatever you can do to just relinquish all of the noise, like the added noise, since you already have so much noise in your head. Whatever activity can allow you to put your phone away for an hour, two hours, whatever the best challenge is for you. Maybe it's 30 minutes to begin with. Maybe it's 10 minutes. But put your phone away and get lost in the activity of what you're doing. And reading a book is a perfect example. If it's a really good book and you get lost in it, doesn't that feel so good when you realize, oh, I've been reading for 30 minutes and I haven't even looked at my phone? Yeah,
7: but I was going to suggest, and this is the thing I need my phone for it because what I've noticed is that your podcast, that's how it started. Because I don't listen much to podcasts, but I was looking for something because my brain was going after I had the strokes. It was, I had to go off all the meds. And, anyways, it was fucking horrible. And I was trying to find some way to focus so I could do my job because I own my own company. Uh, I cook for people. And I was just putting so much pressure on myself. And then the podcast is just like you have this noise in the background that keeps you just focused enough and it quiets down all the other crap that's going on and i just keep going and going so it would involve my phone but it is like listening it's very soothing you wouldn't think it but it is
0: that's okay that you're listening on your phone as long as you're not on your phone while you're enjoying the activity. Like, don't interrupt that activity with other activities. It doesn't matter how many things are going on in your head. You know what happens when you pick up your phone and interrupt something that you're doing or you interrupt, you know, you're in the middle of something and then you're like, oh, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do that. The point is, is to be as present as possible, right? That's present-minded awareness. Like, that's it. You're paying attention to the activity that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And the goal is to find the activity that brings you to that so that the voices are a little bit duller and all of the traction that's going on in your head becomes a little bit less chaotic. And when you notice that you're feeling that way, Then that's an activity that you should do again, you know, with the intention of, okay, I'm going to put my phone away for this amount of time. Whatever your big distractions are to remove them from the thing that is going to make you just really be focused and pay attention. And I promise you that if you keep practicing this, I gave
7: up. I have to be honest. I had a good like eight week cycle going and then I fucking gave up.
0: I know, but you're not going to be able to meditate right now. So just what we're saying is find the show, find the book, find the podcast, whatever it is, and practice doing that for a certain amount of time every day. And I promise you, you will start to become more focused. You won't, you know, you don't believe that now, but it will. So that's a gift you're just going to give to yourself. All right. Justin, did you want to chime in?
4: Yeah, I would love to actually, Laura. So there's this really amazing book that I know it's one of the best books that I've ever seen on meditation. And it's written specifically for meditation. Like one of the titles originally was going to be meditation for people who can't, who can't stop thinking. Uh, (laughs) that's not the actual title. The title is Stay Woke, a meditation guide for the rest of us. (laughs) And I happen to write, I happen to write this book. Doo, 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 shameless plug. I no, just but, but recently
7: all- learned the word plug. I, I recently learned what that is. <laughs> I
5: have a different definition for plug.
7: Yeah,
0: right. I do too. There's three but, actually.
4: Right, a few, a few. But no, I'm, I'm actually yeah. sharing this with you because I'm one of these people who, I don't have ADHD, but I can't stop thinking. And one yeah. of the biggest myths about meditating, it is a myth, it is a lie, it's bullshit. No one's ever done it ever in their life. And if they told you they've done it, they're a liar. People say, that they if they to meditate i have to get my thoughts to stop or get my mind to stop thinking that would literally be like saying oh i'm going to meditate i need to get my heart to stop beating if your mind stops thinking you're dead like the mind thinks yeah. that's what it does yeah. that's literally what it does yeah. like the heart beats that's what it does whether we like it or not and mm-hmm. what we have to learn how to do when we're meditating or anything that brings us into this state is what we're really hoping for is to get our thoughts to work for us instead of against us. The reason why there's a struggle is not because you have too many thoughts. It's because you feel like your thoughts are pulling you out of the moment that you want to be in. Mm -hmm. And so Chelsea's invitation and Shelly's invitation are amazing, but I really want to invite you into this nuance to think, I'm hearing you talk about your thoughts like a problem. Mm -hmm. And I want you first to reorient yourself to say that you And your mind is not a problem. Mm -hmm. That's actually the thing. You've got a diagnosis that sometimes when we get these, now we run this story in our head that says, my brain's a problem. Mm
6: -hmm. And if you you have
4: a problem, you're going to be fixing it, right? Instead of going, how do I use this that I have to work in in favor of me? So I just want to reorient your language around that a little bit and help you see that there's no problem happening here. What there is is a desire for you to be more present in your life. And this is what I think all of us are inviting you into, you know?
7: No, because I used to use the ADHD as my superpower. Like, you can do so much stuff. Mm -hmm. But after I got sick, my mind just kind of became my enemy.
3: Well, and I think, too, Mm -hmm. because you've had, you know, some traumatic brain events, you may need some time to heal a bit, you know?
7: That's, and that is, everyone kept saying, give it time, give it time. And we're, I think, 10 months in now, and... Only now I'm starting to feel a bit like myself yeah. again. Yeah. And yeah. that's, and I am, and th- I have like a journal. I listen to your shit. I tried the 21 days, a habit forming thing. I did it. I'm still doing it. I bought a special journal for it to do it in the morning and the evening. And I noticed that with certain things, I really, really do try to be grateful. Like certain things that I couldn't yeah. be grateful a few months ago that I'm like, oh, I'm sleeping again, you know, shit like that.
0: Yeah,
7: yeah, I love yeah. that. So I do try awesome. to, like, I really am applying more of the present stuff, but it's difficult if your brain is not yeah. your best yeah. friend at the moment, then it kind of messes with the system.
0: Yeah. Well, I like what Justin said. I think that's really nice that, like, yeah. listen, you're recovering. Your brain is your friend, not your enemy. Regardless yeah. of how crazy your thoughts are or how frenetic it may seem, it's your friend. And you can make friends with your brain, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true.
4: Laura and I, I'm really serious. I'm not, I'm honest to God, not just sharing this with you to promote my book at all. I'm sharing with you because I actually really think it would help. Like I I really am a person who's with you. Like my mind is going all the time. And I thought I was somebody who could never meditate. And so that's literally why why I decided to write this, is because people write these meditation books thinking that, you know, everybody can just sit and cross their legs and you know, like Shelly was talking about, and we all can't do that. And so we need a space that we can be able to drop into ourselves. So just anyway, just check out my book. I promise it will help you. It's like the biggest gift to me when I hear somebody going through that.
7: What was the title again?
4: It's called Stay Woke, A Meditation Guide for the Rest of Us.
7: Okay. All right.
4: I know woke means all kinds of bullshit now. It didn't mean that when I put the book out, but it's not about that. It's about, you know, helping us a meditation guide for the rest of us, you know? So yeah, you got it. All right.
7: My elderly mother likes to say she's woke. She thinks it's a uh, thing that you have to say to everyone now. I'm woke.
4: Go mama.
0: Well, I feel like this was a very productive phone call. Yeah. Yeah,
4: I hope it was helpful.
7: This is very cool. You need to come perform here. This is we're, I'm, I live on an island called Curacao. It's next to Aruba.
0: Beautiful. Right, well, I'll be there. I'll be there this weekend. And it's gorgeous. It's
7: like everything you can think of of a of a Caribbean paradise. It's oh super well, awesome. yeah.
0: The Caribbean is pretty gorgeous. So you're lucky. Well, yeah. I'm glad for you. Have uh, and heal. Keep healing and keep doing Thank the work. You. You're gonna you're gonna get to a better place. You're coming out of it. Thank well.
7: I mean, I meant that. I watched your show, and that was the first time in three months that I laughed. Oh, when I watched it, well. no, well, it's true. I had yeah, That's it was amazing. insane. I laughed so hard. I watched it twice, and I laughed again the second time.
4: <laughs> That's amazing. yeah Yeah. all right
7: thanks laura thank you so much okay bye good luck laura Laura.
3: all right bye shelly i loved what you said about like the short little snippets too because i do have adhd and that has been something that's like helped me so much is to just sprinkle them through the day yeah it's big
0: yeah let's take a quick break and we'll be back to wrap up with justin and shelly An official selection of Deadline calls the film a touching testament to the power of love. IndieWire says it's funny and moving, and according to Next Best Picture, Ezra approaches autism with heart and authenticity. Only in theaters nationwide, May 31st.
1: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original Boxer Briefs for Women— Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com.
0: Hi, it's Chelsea here. If you've noticed that your hair isn't looking as full as it used to, Zion Health is here to help. Zion stands out as the experts in men's and women's hair loss treatments I didn't realize that up to 50% of women struggle with hair loss which is weird because we need to be talking about that more. Zion has treatments for all stages of life, including for hair loss due to menopause or pregnancy. Zion offers medicated and non-medicated solutions that are developed by dermatologists to maximize the growth and density of your hair. Getting a prescription is simple. Their online consultation platform gives you convenient access to personalized treatment plans. Hair loss gets more and more difficult to treat the longer you wait, so seek help with them soon. Visit xyonhealth.com to get started. That's xyonhealth.com. And we're back.
5: That's my baby voice. That's <laughs> <laughs> also your doggy voice. <laughs> oh,
0: I haven't seen Bernice in so long. I can't mm. wait to embrace her and have her reject me.
7: I'm
4: allergic to dogs. It's the worst. <laughs> oh, wow. yeah. That's I know. Terrible. I hate it. I hate it because dogs are so imagine. cute. I'm in
0: the market for some new dogs anyway, since Bert fucking died and Bernice oh. is here or she's no, that's it was months ago. Don't worry. Okay. Um, but I'm in the market and I'm ready to rumble. I just need a full house and that's operational. And then I'm just going to add to my brood. Who knows what's going to happen next in the dog world with me?
5: A whole pack. I love it. And probably.
0: Probably. <laughs> I see these videos on Instagram where people have like eight or nine chows, and I'm like, that's what I want. I want to come home and have eight different colored chows running towards me, like a like a kibble commercial.
5: Oh. Like, like a moving carpet.
0: Yes. And even. Yes.
5: <laughs> You'll be like the Queen of England, like, with her, <laughs> her Yeah, exactly.
0: I, th- people always are confusing me with her anyway. I mean, <laughs> but, well especially since she died. Oh, no, there's a new queen. I forgot. I thought they all died. Anyway, (laughs) thank you guys for being on the show. I appreciate both of your advice. It was very great, actually. You guys both gave great advice. And the book is called How We Ended Racism by Shelly Tagilski and Justin Michael Williams. And it's available now. So please go get a copy and get several copies, actually, and hand them out to all the fucking assholes you know. (laughs) Amen. Amen. (laughs) Let's do this together. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. for having us, Thanks, Chelsea. Chelsea. This was so fun. Yeah, Much my love. pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Bye. I- Chelsea, do you have some new dates for us? Oh, you know I do. You know I do. <laughs> I have a lot of... We added lots of Canadian cities. Canadians, I'm coming. We added about 15 new tour dates. I'm coming to Denver again. Salt Lake City, Vancouver. Richmond, Virginia, Santa Rosa, California, Gary, Indiana, Baltimore, Verona, New York, and about seven dates in Canada. So go to ChelseaHandler.com. I am performing everywhere. I will be on tour all for the rest of the year through December. And then next year, I'm going to be touring all year. So come and get it, you guys. It's good times, and it's a very much needed reprieve from all the fucking madness that's going on in this world. So I'm here to bring joy and sunshine.
3: Do you have a holiday-themed question for Chelsea? Please send us all the questions you need answered about crazy family get-togethers, arguing over which cranberry sauce recipe to use, and all your holiday drama. Just send your questions to DearChelseaPodcast at gmail.com. Dear Chelsea is edited and engineered by Brad Dickert, executive producer Catherine Law. And be sure to check out our merch at ChelseaHandler.com.
1: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
2: Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Bomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women.